Welcome to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And today, uh, my guest is uh, somebody from uh, my college years, uh, Gary Stagg. And back in the 80s, Gary and uh, what uh, would be his wife, Ruth, and I, we were all students in a faraway place named Eastern Pentecostal Bible College in Peterborough, Ontario. As uh, young people sensing the call of God in our lives, we all had to wrestle with the notion that God's calling was greater than our own sense of comfort and our own ideas. And we took that call seriously and wholeheartedly, believing that we would lay down our lives for Jesus' sake. So I uh, am really looking forward to uh, reconnecting with uh, a friend from long ago, Gary Stagg. Welcome, Gary. Oh, thank you. Great to connect with you again. Yeah. Um, this so, thing. I mean, I've seen you many times, you know, different conferences and so on. We always yep. connect that way, but a uh, little different to connect online like this. So yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, it's been uh, been fun over the years, uh, keeping track of you and Ruth and uh, where are they now? And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um yeah, just thinking back to uh, those uh, early days in Peterborough, uh, uh, any uh, special things uh, that you remember or uh, events or uh, stories from uh, days of yore? I, I mean, I think the most significant thing, the most impact, the most, the thing that was most impacting that I always go back to is, uh, I'm not even sure what year we were in, but... <clears throat> Our spiritual emphasis days, that one year where uh, Brother Tatinger spoke on the one divine moment, and we saw, um, I guess, like a mini revival or something that broke out on campus, right? Similar to what we saw, you know, in the States this past year. Asbury College, yeah. Asbury College, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we lived that, and it was yeah. really incredible, you know? And... Um, that's something I, I go back to often, you know, mm -hmm. just that because because that that time really confirms some things, I think, in me, you know, it's just mm -hmm. uh, some things that maybe you're um, not quite sure about things that you wondered if were real and, you know, things of the spirit in particular. Right. You know, and yeah. um, when you actually live through that. You just know that it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't anything that was conjured up. Uh, the people that were there, I mean, they were they were our colleagues in school. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, knew them to not be putting it on or anything. It was just a real miraculous move of God. Yeah, so, it, it really almost sweet. indescribable. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, did uh, refresh my memory uh, when you and Ruth were in college? Uh, you weren't married at that point, were you? No, we weren't. We actually start going started um, dating, I guess, in our last year. Yeah. Um, and then I was hired right out of Bible college to go to Montreal. Mm -hmm. so I went as a single guy, um, mm -hmm. as an assistant pastor in Montreal, and Ruth went to. Um, Belleville hmm. at that time. I think your dad was one of the pastors in Belleville at that time, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, she worked at the district office there. That's right. For Stuart Hunter. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we we had a, a bit of a um long distance relationship for a while. And that would have been a year and a half or so that we did mm -hmm. that. So which often meant that she drove to Montreal <laughs> because <laughs> it was weekends and I had to of course be there for church and yeah. youth group and all that kind of stuff. So um she braved it, you know, in her little um Volkswagen uh rabbit, I think they were called at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a rabbit and she had a rabbit. So she had <laughs> <a red> one. <laughs> we often thought, well, we get these mate, we could really make some money, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, she braved so... them, you know, it was really strange because uh, I mean I, by that time I had learned a little bit of, it, of French and you know, she would um she got lost a couple of times, of course, trying to find directions and calling me and reading signs. It was quite, it was quite funny. Quite funny yeah. when she called me and said, I'm at the Pont Bridge. Pont. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pont yeah. Bridge. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, your last year Bible college, you guys started dating. How did you know she was the one, Gary? I, I kind of knew it right away. You know, it was yeah. just that, yeah, it was just a, that sense that, um, yeah, this is the person that God, you know, has mm -hmm. for me. I think, I think it was, um, hopefully it was mutual. I think she had mutual. <laughs> so too, too <laughs> late now. Seems to have worked out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Married for almost 40 years, I think. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Next year would be, yeah. Well, it's amazing how over a, a, a lifetime, uh, you know, how, how much, uh, we've all changed and grown, you know, I, I think back to my years in college and, and, uh, I think, oh, God was merciful. <laughs> God was gracious. He, yeah, for sure. he, he helped me to get humble. He helped me to, 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 to lock into his purposes and not my own and just yeah. very formative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, then, then you guys got married. Where where'd you get married? We we were married in Kitchener. Kitchener, yeah. Kitchener Gospel Temple because that's that was Ruth's home church before okay. going to Bible College. So uh, we were married there in um, 1985, mm -hmm. and You're we were married in the summer. By and in November. We left Montreal and we moved to Regina, Saskatchewan. Hmm. Yeah. And it was quite a shock because, uh, you know, we were just married. So a new, that was new and uh, a new city, new church, new everything, you know, and it was, a, but it was a good time. You know, I think that was a time in our lives where we really uh, were able to, you know, meld together really you know mm -hmm. in ways that wouldn't have normally happened and so i think that was really strengthening for our relationship at the time we moved there in november and when we got there it, we got one of those uh, cold snaps that they often get in saskatchewan and it was like minus 40 i think for about two weeks so ruth didn't go out for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah now, now you were uh, you were from Newfoundland, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereabouts in Newfoundland? Grand Falls, Windsor. Grand Falls, yeah, in Windsor. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Eh? Uh, uh, across the, the breadth of our country, um, you know, especially back when, when we were uh, college kids, uh, just the diversity, eh? uh, the difference between uh, provinces and, and uh, accents and everything else. It, it uh, um, Canada is, is uh, just uh, even a different country to what it was in the early 80s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and so many differences. I mean, I, I get to travel now all across Canada. I mean, I travel a lot internationally, but I travel quite a bit across Canada as well, like from the east to the west and mm -hmm. just diversity and uh, just yeah I just came back from Vancouver Island last week nice uh, that's just a whole different world you know amazing it's beautiful yeah so so you and Ruth uh, got married uh, you went to Regina to pastor in a church there yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I was assistant pastor at a church in Regina it was called Avonhurst mm -hmm. and uh, we went to work with um, a senior pastor there and Mm -hmm. After a couple of years, he he moved on. And so, you know, back in the day, it was kind of like a clean sweep, right? You know, when, yeah. so um, we moved, we decided that um, we decided to move back to um, Ontario at that time. Mm -hmm. So we took a small church in eastern Ontario, just outside of Cornwall, mm -hmm. uh, the church um, in a place called Long Sioux, Long Sioux Pentecostal Church. And that's a church where the charter for the PAOC was signed wow. back in the day. Way It was a very historic church. It was relocated from one of the lost villages that now lies under the uh, water when they flooded for the uh, for the seaway over there mm -hmm. and moved everything and, you know, made two two towns basically one called long sioux and that's where we lived and uh and that's when we had our first child hmm. we were living there it was a beautiful place yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and from there we um that was not far from ottawa as well and then we were invited to go on staff at uh woodvale mm -hmm. at church in ottawa yeah and i so remember you guys a, being at woodvale yeah, yeah. We, we spent a number of years there and loved it. We loved everywhere we've been, really, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, twenty almost twenty eight years ago, we sensed the call to come to Mississauga. Mm. To um, it was really like a, a situation of re kicks re kickstarting. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, kind of. It was a church plant mm -hmm. that wasn't going too well. And so we basically came to kickstart it again to get it going. And Kevin, we intercepted there through yeah. a mutual friend, a guy that worked with me there. Rick Percy. Yeah. You came actually, you and the other Kevin. Yeah. With your group, yep. Two Fish, I think, right? Yep. We came to rock the flock. You did. You came <laughs> a couple of times. And yep. it was great. You're always well received. People yeah. always, yeah. So, that was a long time ago. That was 28 years ago that I moved to Mississauga. Wow. And we basically, you know, when we got there, it was, um, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a situation where it was going under quickly. Mm -hmm. In fact, the district superintendent called us at the time and said, this church is slated to close. 
but you know, I feel like if you and Ruth would uh, take a stab at it, then we'll keep it open and see what happens. There you go. That's good introduction to ministry, right? Like, just yeah. see what you may go down with it, but <laughs> and and you saw it through that critical season, and and it it began to grow and flourish, and it's still still going strong today, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've moved into a new campus, mm -hmm. the heart of Mississauga, and mm -hmm. things are, yeah, it's a different, different, different story today for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a miracle that uh, that a urban church in Mississauga can actually buy land and and build property and 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 uh, do all that kind of thing. Yeah, um, it just points to. Uh, you know the the impossibility of the world, and yet God can make a way. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we saw that time and time again. We spent fifteen years at yeah. that church. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So seven years ago, uh, you began to uh, work with Open Doors, and um, I remember back uh, in an, our uh, younger days when uh, there was a book that was being passed around called God's smuggler and yeah. brother Andrew was this, uh, this Dutch, uh, Christian who, uh, really in the fifties, I think started to go behind the iron curtain, going into uh, the Soviet union, smuggling Bibles. Um, it was illegal to have a Bible in the Soviet union and you, you could be, uh, imprisoned, and tortured for your faith. And uh, so at great uh, risk, he had an old uh, Volkswagen bug and and stashed up with uh, Bibles and uh, went past border checkpoints and and got in and, and distributed Bibles in the, the former Soviet Union. What an incredible story. Uh, really and, is, isn't it? Yeah. It's still a very popular book, especially mm -hmm. with uh, young adults and teens and so on. It's just a, it, you know, it it's just still very uh, the, the the message the the testimony is so impelling. You know, it's yeah, amazing this young man could do. It wasn't that many years ago that Brother Andrew passed away? Was it? Just, um, a couple of years ago, uh, or yeah, 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 last year. Not this past fall, but the one before, I guess, right? Yeah. In his 90s? Yeah, in his 90s. Yeah. yeah. I was at his funeral mm. in in Holland. Mm. Wow. I had the privilege, actually, when I first started in the ministry, I had the privilege of sitting down with him for a whole morning mm. at study in, uh, in the Netherlands. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was really quite amazing. At that point, he was still as sharp as anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, you could just feel like you were part of the book because he talked about, you know, in the book later on, it talks about how, you know, his study that was in the back, like it's kind of like a, a shed in the backyard type thing, you know, and uh, that's still there. And that's wow. uh, that's where I met with him and uh, had just a great time. It's, with him. it's an amazing experience when when you meet one of those um you know, really world-changing Christians that yeah. 
that did something that nobody else was thinking about doing. Everybody was being much smarter and safer and, yeah. and, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll just pray from a distance. Right. But, but he, yeah. he had boldness. He had yeah. courage from the Lord. Oh, for sure. And yeah. right up to the end, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. still had that boldness. Yeah. 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 Now, um, I'm curious, you know, with the, the, the whole aspect, Open Doors really uh, is a, an organization that um, uh, is watching to see where persecution is happening around the world, uh, persecution against Christians. And uh, um, just tell me a bit about, um, you know, the just sort of the Give me the elevator pitch. What, what is Open Doors, Gary, and uh, why is it important? Yeah, so from you know, from those humble beginnings, you know, it started in 1955 when he took his first trip behind the Iron Curtain. And now we work in more than 70 countries around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, wherever there's Christian persecution, and there's persecution in more than 70 countries, we are, you know, we're expanding all the time, but... Uh, we uh, we work in more than 70 countries around the world. We still do Bible distribution, um, mm -hmm. you know, smuggling of Bibles, put it that way. And sometimes that's, I mean, we have a team going uh, soon from Canada of some mm -hmm. supporters, Open Doors, that are going and they're going to be bringing their allotment of Bibles with them to a country where people don't have access to them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we still do that, but we also do leadership training, social economic development. We do a lot of trauma counseling in some of the areas where there's a lot of violence towards Christians and so mm -hmm. on. And, um, but one of the things that we do, I think that's very significant, you alluded to it, is um, the research that we do. Yeah. And this research is, is um, valued by many organizations and even governments around the world that look mm -hmm. to um, our world, it's called our World Watch Unit, mm -hmm. and they're a research group that within Open Doors that basically work year round to keep a keep a, a finger on the pulse of what's happening with Christian persecution around the world. Mm -hmm. And so every year they publish what's called the uh, World Watch List, and so it just came out a couple of weeks ago for 2024, mm -hmm. and. Um, so uh, yeah, the the world watch list. There's yeah. So um, if uh, if anybody's watching this podcast on YouTube, you'll be able to see what I've pulled up on screen here. If you're listening to the audio, um, you can go to the opendoorscanada.org website and see this map. So just um, Gary, maybe tell me. Okay, so I, I see some colors on this map. There's uh, orange and there's red. And uh, what's the difference between there orange and red? Be, there used to be uh, another color as well. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so one color would be um, high levels of persecution. Would that the be other, red? Uh, no, sorry. There used to be... I have to backtrack here because now we only have two colors, which means we have very high and extreme. Hmm. There is a category called high. It's just that all countries right now happen to have moved into the top two categories, which is right. unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Like years ago, if you looked at it, you would have had three colors is what I mean, because uh, persecution yeah. is going, right? And it's getting worse 
for Christians in many of these countries. And mm -hmm. this is the top 50 countries in the world, right? Where it right. in all 50 now are in those top two categories. Right. Yeah. So um, uh, over on the right, uh, I see uh, a uh, sequence, one, two, three, four, five. Is that the top five? That's the top countries? five. So North Korea. North so Korea has been number one mm -hmm. since 2002. Wow. Uh, yeah, except for one year. I think it was 2020 mm -hmm. uh, that um, Afghanistan actually moved into first place. And that was because of all the activity around the Taliban mm -hmm. taking over in the country and um, what that meant for the Christians that were there. Right. The, yeah. And so they were neck and neck for, for a number of years anyway, North Korea and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But uh, that particular year, but every other year since 2002, North Korea has been number one. So very, mm -hmm. it's it. And that means it's the most dangerous place to live as a Christian in the world today mm, yeah um brutal brutal place like yeah. for christians yeah, uh, if yeah. you are found to be a, found out to be a christian if you're even found with a bible it's quite likely that you and your whole family and extended family oftentimes will be sent to a brutal labor camp oh my you'll suffer starvation hard work and no chance of being released yeah the story from back a number of years ago where a family were this couple were found to have a a, a bible and that whole family including a two-year-old child were sent to labor camp my goodness yeah and and it's not like in north korea you're living you're you're living in comfort and security anyways <laughs> so you no. it, it, you just enter into an, uh, a lower stage of hell yeah yeah wow pretty much yeah. yeah um i mean it's really interesting because you know we we are very free of, of course in our country and i can't imagine you know with my own two kids uh when they were growing up not being able to tell them that they live in a Christian home. But for most people mm -hmm. in North Korea, they can't trust their children with that information until they come to uh, an age where they feel that they're, you know, the parents feel that the children are responsible enough to handle that because the whole regime, yeah. everything that, that means school, every, everywhere we are, it's just all propaganda, right? That mm -hmm. they're thrown at them. So children grow up thinking that, um, their parents are secondary to the state. Right. And so if they find out that there's a Bible in their home, um, you know, their first inclination is to report that because mm -hmm. that's, they've been trained. Right. I met a Korean believer, a North Korean believer in the UK two years ago. And she talked about that conflict that she had because she was rummaging through um, um a closet in her house and she found a bible and she was horrified to find this and her first, she said that her first instinct was to go to the authorities and report it mm. but she didn't thankfully she went to her parents first yeah. and talked to them and so they said no no don't do that let's talk about it and so they actually led her to christ wow and uh but i mean you know she's older at this point and never knew that she was living in a christian home because it's just that dangerous for them. Mm. You know, it's hard mm. for us to get our heads around all of that, you know, like just to, 
yeah anyway yeah so so if i keep going down that list i see somalia libya eritrea uh, yemen and uh you know the list goes on down extreme persecution very high persecution high persecution um actually on the the list uh that i'm i'm i found another map here where they they show the third color being kind of a uh mustard yellow yeah for high persecution yeah so um yeah nigeria pakistan sudan iran afghanistan india syria saudi arabia mali algeria iraq myanmar maldives china burkina faso lao people's democratic republic i don't even know where some of these places are cuba more cuba mauritania Morocco, Uzbekistan, uh, Bangladesh, Niger, Central African Republic, Turkmenistan, Nicaragua, Oman, Ethiopia, Tunisia, Colombia, Vietnam, Bhutan, Mexico, Egypt, Mozambique, Qatar, Democratic Republic of Congo, Indonesia, Cameroon, Brunei, Darussalam, uh, Comoros, uh, Tad. Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Jordan, Malaysia, and Turkey. That that's like a third of the world. Yeah, that's a third of the countries well, of the world. I mean, it it it's it's a minimum of three hundred and sixty five million Christians. That's that crazy. suffer at high levels of persecution. That's one in seven Christians globally. You know, so that's that's staggering numbers, right? You know, we. We often don't think about it, but yeah, that's that's a lot of our family members. Let's put it that way. Well, I think you know theologically we can understand that there's principalities and powers, darkness, yeah. rulers, in high places. But I think we can also probably um, give names to to some of those forces yeah. at work in the world that would like like what is what what are you finding in places of high persecution uh or extreme persecution um does uh nations that uh have marxist ideologies do, is it is it islam is it hinduism yeah. what where what are some of the, it just the things that that yeah. that come it's, to bear it's usually oftentimes attributed to extremism right you know, it's like extremist groups and so on. So like right now, um, sub-Saharan Africa is a great concern. And when you think of that, you know, we think of centuries of sending missionaries to Africa and uh, developing Christian communities and so on. And it just, you know, that scripture that says the, the thief comes but to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing that in we're seeing that in sub-Saharan Africa. And yeah. uh, in certain regions, for sure. And it's all because of um, groups that are so associated with ISIS and Al-Qaeda, mm -hmm. uh, who are basically just um, terrorizing Christians. That's yeah. an area where there's a lot of violence towards Christians. So persecution is more than violence. You know, we often think of it in terms of just violence. Mm -hmm. But violence is just one thing. Mm -hmm. We call that the smash in open doors. 
but there's also the squeeze. So you could live in a country where, like you mentioned, you you sounded somewhat surprised about Cuba. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to be killed for your faith necessarily in Cuba, but you're you will feel definitely a squeeze on the church and on pastors and leaders and and uh, different things like that, right? You know, so yeah. there's where we see the squeeze and the squeeze gets very intense at sometimes. But then you have the areas where um, right now, one of those areas, Sub-Saharan Africa, where we're seeing the smash for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's just getting worse and worse all the time. It's just because the area is so destabilized, you know, politically and so on. Then mm -hmm. that creates a vacuum for groups to go in there and just uh, run rampant, mm -hmm. and Christians become the targets, right? Because they're they're uh, extreme Islamic um, groups, and um, their target often is Christians. So, in northern Nigeria, um, not so much in the southern part of Nigeria, because Nigeria, you know, in the south is predominantly Christian, in the north it's all Muslim. Mm -hmm. And you have that middle belt, we call it the middle belt there. And we see a lot of activity uh, happening in that area with mm -hmm. uh, militant group called Fulani Herdsmen. And you've got ISWAP, which is ISIS, um, but uh, Western Africa provinces or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it, there's all kinds of groups, you know, that are happening. And then these groups splinter too sometimes. Because, you know, they may feel like, okay, this is not radical enough. So you get another super radical group that breaks off and they create more. So just that's what's happening in that part of the world. So last year, um, 14 Christians a day in Nigeria died for their faith. Wow. A day. Mm. Oh, so, you know, that that's a lot. And we're seeing the smash in areas as well, like uh, with uh, churches being burned or shut down, um, you know, um, you have a um, situation in India where not too long ago, India would be, would not have been on the world watch list. If it was, it would be way, way down. Uh, but since the Modi government took over, which is a, uh, a government, of course, that, you know, the agenda is basically to turn India back into a, Hindu state. Mm -hmm. So their thought is to be Indian is to be Hindu. And so the, there's a whole, you know, move on to basically convert people back to Hinduism. And, and what happens is that extremist groups again, and now we're talking about Hindu extremists, um, those groups are allowed to run rampant with punity right you know it's, mm -hmm. it's they're attacking christians it doesn't matter you know so we've seen a lot india has climbed up since 2014 when the modi government took over uh we've seen india just climb steadily up into up up the world watch list and yeah so and you, you probably heard of what happened this past year in manipur state i mean it was it was on the news and everything, you know, what was happening to Christians in that area. Are, are there places in the world that uh, you've seen a significant shift the other way where it's gone from extreme persecution to 
um, you know, very little persecution, if any. Well, uh, we have seen, in my time anyway, we have seen some good things happen like that, for sure. And even this past year, we've seen, I mean, even, I, you know, I just spoke about India, but there's also signs of hope in India because we they just had an election in one of the states and the opposite party got in, which is a party that would really uphold, um, you know, the value of, of freedom of religion and so on. Mm -hmm. So that was a really, a real blow to the, uh, to the Modi party, right? So, yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's a good sign because people are maybe starting to open their eyes and see what's happening and are voting to, you know, India is still democratic, it's the largest democratic country in the world. Mm -hmm. And we also see places even like Saudi Arabia that are, you know, passing some new um, things were making it a lot easier for people to, mm -hmm. you know, and in some cases it's uh, making it easier for foreigners or people like expats that are living in the country, but it's still fairly hard for anybody that would convert mm -hmm. within their own society. So if you're in an Islamic society and you decide that you're going to convert to Christianity, that would be still very, very hard for you. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, are there places in the world where, um, you know, uh, Christians um, are persecuting other Christians? What, what, what do you see around the globe in that way? Yeah, that's for sure a, a problem um, in, in a number of countries because you have the, the very traditional religions, uh, Orthodox, um, sometimes even the Catholic Church. We have brothers and sisters, of course, in the Catholic Church that are persecuted as well. But um, there are some countries where you know, for instance, people are surprised when they hear there are countries in um, uh, like Mexico and Colombia and Latin American countries like that to see that they actually have persecution. Hmm. Oftentimes that persecution does come from the uh, traditional religion that's yeah. there to any evangelical or, you know, group that stands outside of that. Mm -hmm. Also called course comes from the cartels a mm -hmm. lot of in in uh, latin america because you have cartels that have control of areas and uh churches are there and they're um you know they're preaching morality and 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 they see that as a threat because they're trying to yeah. recruit young people into you know into the cartel and the church is seen as an obstacle to that so mm -hmm. they they attack churches as well but yeah. then you have churches like you have like uh, countries, of course, where Christianity began, like in Iraq and Iran and places like that, where, you know, the old Orthodox churches and so on, they don't take too well to um, um, Pentecostals or Baptists, mm. or whatever, coming in right, right. and, you know, moving on the territory. So they will make it difficult as well for Christians. Yeah. Speaking of the cartels, I mean, our. Our buddy Rick down in Mexico, he had at one point, uh, they had to get up and move uh, because uh, they were they were getting warnings that um, they were uh, they were at risk from the cartels because they didn't appreciate what they were doing in their ministry there. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. It, because it's uh, they would prefer to have those children mm -hmm. uh, prudent to, you know, to their cause, right? Mm -hmm. you no, know, they just leave them alone. We'll take them. We'll take care of them. And <laughs> what they what happens is that they're used for nefarious purposes. Yeah. And so yeah. somebody like Rick, who is trying to, you know, bring these people to, you know, a knowledge of Jesus and to live a better life and so on, are seen as a threat to that for sure. Yeah. Let, let's talk about Canada for a minute. Um, you know, when uh, in the news cycles uh, a year or two ago, when uh, there was all of these revelations that there were... Um, uh, alleged mass graves uh, for um, uh, the uh, indigenous population that children that had been in the um, uh, residential schools. And uh, there began to be massive investigations and looking in the grounds and doing excavations. And as far as I know, they never actually turned up any any corpses, any actual graves. Um, but in the public fury over that, uh, there were um, dozens of churches across Canada that were set on fire. And uh, they were often churches that were um, associated with the residential schools in past decades, Catholic, Anglican, uh, United Church, some of those that had had residential schools, uh, but it wasn't just res uh, mainline churches. Uh, I know of a, a Pentecostal church where uh, there was uh, an unstable person that had uh, committed arson on five churches in in an area near near a reserve, and and uh, including the Pentecostal church. You you know so. Is that, uh, I mean, is that something that we would look at and say, well, that's persecution against Christians to have their churches burned down? And then I also think about, like, during the pandemic, um, you know, not everybody was agreed about uh, what was the right thing to do, uh, but there were um, a handful of uh Christians and pastors and churches across the nation that, you know, defied the public orders and, and uh, were arrested and, and, and they weren't, uh, they, they were doing it in objection to the law of the state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so how do we look at that? You know, cause sometimes I hear Canadian Christians um, talk as if, you know, we're all being persecuted <laughs> and, uh, well, none, none have spent a, a day in North Korea, you know, yeah. um, or Nigeria in, in the troubled areas or anywhere else, you know, like what, what's the state in Canada are, are, is there persecution against Christians in Canada? Well, you know, I often, um, when I'm talking to pastors, um, the, the, the pastors that are in tune with what's happening around the world with persecuted Christians and are keeping that in front of their people, basically they're, they're praying regularly 
for the persecuted church. They're telling the stories of the persecuted church on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Are the pastors that had the least problems with um, lockdowns and all of that stuff? Because mm -hmm. I think people could keep it in perspective a little more, right? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, you have to look at there. what's the motive behind it? What was mm -hmm. the motive of the government to attack churches? Or was it them doing their best to try to keep the country safe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it was persecution of Christians, what happened during COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be persecution of Hindus and Muslims and everything else, right? I mean, it was just yeah. everything was shut down. I'm not sure if you can ascribe that to <laughs> to persecution, you know? No. Um, so I, I would say no to that. I mean, the I, the thing with the churches being burnt, I mean, I've had people say that to me, even from other countries, what's going on in Canada? They're burning down churches and all on, you know, like, because we only hear one side, they only hear one side of the story. And that is that mm -hmm. burning down churches in Canada, right? You know, and they don't hear the backstory right. of why, you know, the fact that it was a reaction to um, a reaction to what had happened. Um Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what you, you made a comment about the none of the graves were actually discovered or whatever. Yeah, part, I think the sonar yeah, discovered they, the human remains, right? Yeah. Well, they they found anomalies uh, in the soil, and uh, but I don't know of one case where they actually excavated and found uh, human remains. Yeah, uh, I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, well, that doesn't really matter because the yeah. story, the story that, of course, that everyone was hearing was that there were mass graves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get the reaction to that. Right. And so the churches being burned and so on that were associated with, uh, you know, denominations that uh, ran those schools and so on in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's just a, that's a reactionary thing, mm -hmm. and um, often I think sometimes what Christians would label as persecution is I look at more as being more of being accountable for not being more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, to abuse children in a residential school—that's horrible. It's not horrible. what Jesus yeah. would do. So you're being held accountable. Yeah. For yeah you know all yeah. that persecution i i wouldn't mm. i wouldn't call it persecution right right so um and, and i'm i'm not saying that um that it's right or anything like that but you know the what? the other the other issue that we see in canada i mean put aside you mentioned two specific things but i mean mm -hmm. they're also like we we realize and even you know our, our organization the World Watch unit, um, everything. I mean, we realize that Canada, as well as many other um, Western countries, and in particular in Europe, there's a lot of secular intolerance towards Christians these days. There is, yeah. You know? yeah. And that is a real, that's more, I think, of a danger um, that, you know, we're becoming less and less tolerated mm -hmm. in our society because of the stand that we're taking. Thankfully, I mean, we're not at a place where we would end up on the top 50 most. And and to your point, I mean, you can't, none of us have lived in North Korea, you know, 
any of these places. So it would be it would be a joke if I mentioned to somebody in some of these countries that we feel we're being persecuted. Yeah. Where we can still get up and go to church on Sunday. We can still do whatever we want, basically, you know, when it comes to our faith. Right. You know, so um, I don't know what it's going to be like 15 years down the road, though, Kevin. Yeah, and I guess that that's what I wonder too. You know, like in our own examples, um, we see how easy it is for uh, things to be reacted to, and there to be escalations. Yeah, um, and I, I can't help but think that um, at at one time in in some of the uh, watch list countries, uh, there there probably was a time when it was more civil. Uh, when there was, you know, in, in, in some cases, a lot more tolerance, but oh, for th- sure. things, things get out of hand and escalate and, and, uh, you know, pe- uh, lies, lies get told and yeah. misinformation, and, all that yeah. stuff. And some of these countries can actually shoot up pretty fast. Yeah. The, yeah. On this list. I mean, you know, the, the, the list changes every year, right. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, it's not a stagnant list. It's uh it it changes every year according to the research and what's and what's happening around the world. So, it, it it's a human problem. Yeah, we we can very quickly move to demonize the enemy or the perceived enemy, and and yeah. uh, that that can begin an escalation that just takes on monstrous proportions, and I mean monstrous, right? Yeah, and it could be yeah. so easy to kind of make that, you know, just so that now we look at even our Muslim neighbors differently and so on. Yeah. You know, and we have to be very careful because, you know, we're, we have the privilege in Canada of yeah. actually sharing Jesus with them yeah. without any repercussions. You it, know, it, it, it doesn't escape my notice either that we are seeing waves of immigration many times from places that are uh, that dark red yeah that that place of high persecution and and extreme persecution that you know uh people come to canada seeking asylum from yeah. uh, some of those terrors and so I, mean, I you know they're in these countries you're right and and if you live if you lived as a christian in one of those countries and you went to try to um, tell them about Jesus, you could end up in prison. You could even lose your life mm-hmm. for sharing the gospel with them. Now they're in Canada. We have complete freedom to do that. We're not going to lose our yeah. lives for sharing the gospel. We're not going to lose our lives by walking across the street and telling people about Jesus. Like we're not, Yeah, you know, and so that's an opportunity for us. I look at it as an opportunity for us. Like they weren't weren't able to hear it where they're coming from, but let's tell them about it now that yeah. they're here. You know. Yeah. The other thing I would say also, you know, with going back to um, uh, Canada, and we don't know what's going to happen, and we, you know, where it can go, and all that stuff. I think that's an one of the reasons why we need to be connected with persecuted believers around the world, because I believe that they are the ones that teach us what it is to really live for Jesus and like Jesus in societies that are hostile to the gospel. Right. 
where we could be in 10 years or 15 years. Yeah. We'll be our mentors then, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that it's becoming more and more important that people stay connected with persecuted believers around the world. So that I do in Canada. So uh, you, you do that here in Canada, you've got a work in Canada. Talk to me about, um, you know, why, why open doors is important to Canadian Christians. Uh, one reason is that we become aware uh, yeah. so that we can pray. Uh, what else uh, is, is there that, what, what are the, the things that we need to be learning well, I think, again, you know, going back to just, uh, I think that we need to um, learn from their testimony, learn from their example of what it really means to live for Christ in a hostile environment. They're the ones that are going to teach us. And and it's important because, you know, we can't, we're, we're the Bible, the Bible says it's just one body, you know, hmm. and when one part suffers, we all suffer. That's not just talking about my own little church or my own church in Mississauga, not so little, but my church in Mississauga, like we're a body of believers, right? But yet we are globally a body of believers. We're just one Mm -hmm. body. And so when one part suffers, we all suffer. And we are told constantly in scripture that, you know, um, to um, pray for those who are persecuted, pray for um, those who are in prison as if we were in prison with them you know, like standing with them. And if you ask anybody in uh, these persecuted countries, any Christian that you ask, what can we do for you? Their number one answer is always pray for us and don't forget about us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we exist as Open Doors Canada is to provide resources for people to pray and to be connected to the body of Christ that are that is in persecution around the world. Gary, did you always have that uh, that sense that uh, uh, that there was a, a responsibility to uh, care carry the burden of the rest of the Christians in the world, uh, or was that something that kind of uh, grew on you? Was there anything that kind of um, you know tipped the scales for you, where you said, "No, this is this is so important. I I need to." I need to be doing this. Yeah. Uh, it happened for me and tw- about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian persecution. I was like a lot of the young people today that when they see us at a conference or a missions fest or something like that, and they read the big banner that says, you know, serving persecuted Christians worldwide or whatever the slogan might be for the time. I've had kids come up, you know, and say, Christian persecution, is that really a thing? Yeah. Because they're unaware of it. They, they're they sheltered from it in Canada, right? So I was like that. I mean, I really didn't know. I came from Newfoundland, for goodness sakes. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that there was, this stuff was happening. I just wasn't aware, you know, yeah. and not because I chose to not be aware, but it's just that I wasn't aware. Mm-hmm. I, I about 25 years ago, I came across a prayer guide, a prayer calendar from Open Doors Canada, mm-hmm. which has like a prayer point for every day of the year, uh, sent out like monthly or bi-monthly. And um, 
every day there's a thing and I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like there are people in this world, Christians that are really suffering. And so I ordered a bunch of those for my church and I would make sure that every month we gave out new calendars and then we regularly prayed for persecuted believers mm -hmm. in our church and in our small groups and so on. And then uh, I think because I was ordering these things and so on, I was contacted by Open Doors and, um, and from there, you know, kind of built a bit of a relationship and which led into uh, me taking a trip with them, visiting uh, a country, a restricted country, uh, which we still do today with, uh, you know, believers across Canada. Um, and so I took one of those trips. And so that just kind of grew like that, you know. And so it was always very important in my from 25 years ago. Anyway, you know, I was a pastor for a number of years before that. I think I've been in full-time ministry since 1983. So you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it wasn't until 25 years ago that this burden began. And uh, I've always felt it was so important that we cannot forget these people. Yeah. That we've got to keep praying for them and remembering them. And from there, I think just building that relationship with Open Doors, taking the trip and so on. Back, Unfortunately, back in 2016, the director that was here before me um, died tragically in a motorcycle accident out in Alberta. And um, when they were looking for a new director, they contacted me. And it just seemed to be the right thing at the right time. And um, that's kind of how I got into it. Wow. That's how I got to where I am today. Yeah. 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 It's it's beautiful how, you know, God always gets our attention to, and that's how he leads us, right? Yeah. Moses is taking care of sheep and something catches his attention. It's this burning bush, this anomaly, this thing that he wasn't aware of before, this thing that is not normal. Mm -hmm. And and so he he approaches it and and out of that burning bush God speaks to him. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened to you with the your your burning bush was an awareness of persecuted Christians. Yeah. 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 yeah sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mine mine was the urban poor. You know, yeah. and uh, and uh, just uh, God, God gives us a burning bush. Uh, you know, He gives us a, a calling. And uh, anyways, at least you and I. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but <laughs> but I know I'm called, and I know you're called. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So um, yeah, uh, Gary, it's uh, it's been great uh, catching up with you and. Uh, in the the show notes uh, at sidewalkskylinepodcast.com, um, I'll list uh, links to uh, open doors and to the watch list. And if there's anything else you want me to link, just uh, uh, send me a message so I can uh, I can add that to it as well. Sure. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, just uh, as we're coming to a close today, Gary, um, I would then invite you to. Uh, to pray 
specifically for Christians in Canada. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the part that uh, we can play in uh, understanding and responding to persecuted Christians globally. Would you, uh, could you just close us out in a prayer? Yeah, sure. Father, I thank you today for this opportunity and um, for this great opportunity to catch up with Kevin and uh, with uh, what he's doing. We pray your blessing upon him today, Lord. Uh, we pray for all Christians in Canada today, Lord, as we um, consider um, the fact that we live in a free country. And oftentimes we feel that those freedoms are eroding away from us. And we know, Lord, that we all feel that intolerance that's that's building towards the church. And so I pray today that you would help us, Lord, to be strong. Uh, thank you for the example, the testimony of persecuted Christians around the world who every day are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. They would rather die than renounce their faith in you. And what an example that is to us, Lord, and help us to remember that we are one body with them, that they're not uh, the church in persecution and us, the church that is on holiday. Help us to know, Lord, today that we're all in this together, that when one part suffers, we all suffer. And so, Father, I thank you for that testimony. I pray for us as Christians um, in Canada, that we would become more aware of what's happening uh, around the world and um, that we would make a stand to uh, pray for our brothers and sisters and do whatever we can to help them in their time of need. Thank you again for the blessing of today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Gary. Uh, your your words have been insightful and helpful. And uh, uh, I will encourage uh, all of our listeners to uh, go check out Open Doors. And uh, we, uh, it's amazing to be a part of the body of Christ and, and the day that we're living in where, uh, you know, there's an unveiling of, of uh, all that is hidden and secret and and uh, it's a preparation for the Lord's return. And, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, God bless you, my friend, and uh, send my regards to Ruth as well. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up probably at another conference someday soon. Yeah, for sure. Hello, I'm Bill Riley. I work with Kevin Rogers on the production of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. There's so many great stories and thoughtful people engaged in good work in Canadian cities. Some of our past guests will be participating in an event that I want to tell you about. Our City Windsor is an urban conference taking place on March the 22nd and 23rd at New Song Church in Windsor, Ontario. The theme is Signs of Hope. It is an answer to the question, what hope do we have for this rampant homelessness, addiction, food insecurity, and general malaise of city life in Canada? You will get to meet and engage with a group of community building compassion entrepreneurs that deeply care and are making a difference in their city. The conference is only $49 and taxed if you register online. Otherwise, you'll pay $65 at the door. Go to www.ourcitywindsor.ca to get all the relevant details and be encouraged 
as you find like-minded people that believe the love of God can change the world.